Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Bible Catholic Channel here on YouTube. Thanks for joining us today. My name is William Hemsworth, and I'm really I'm pleased to have my guest. We've talked a couple times before, and you've probably seen her on my channel a couple times based on other interviews. But Anne DeSantis. Anne has a MA in theology from St. Joseph's College of Maine. Go monks. I went there too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. She's the director of the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith, headquartered in Philadelphia. Uh, she hosts the Sewing Hope podcast with Bill Snyder and the online TV show Journeys in Faith with Anne DeSantis on the Fiat Ministry Network. And she's also the author of a great book. It's uh, Love and Care for the Mar Marginalized, and it's a 40-day meditation for Catholics based on reflections from popes, saints, religious leaders, movie quotes, and, and others on how God speaks to each of us about the importance of outreach to those who have been hurt, rejected, and marginalized. And here is the book. Anne, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. I'm just so grateful to you that you're, you've invited me on this podcast. So thank you, Bill. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and Thank you for all the work that you're doing. So speaking of the work you're doing, before we get into your book, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation, everything that you have going on over there. Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. So I'm the director for a nonprofit, a 501c3 headquartered in Philadelphia. We were founded in 2015 by a religious order called the Mercedarian Order. And for anybody who's watching wants to learn more about the foundation, all you need to do is just go to our website, which is nonatus.org. And I'm just going to spell it because it's not a word that you hear too often. It's N-O-N-N-A-T-U-S.org. So check it out, learn about what we do. But our charism is pastoral accompaniment for families in crisis and namely families who are affected by divorce and separation. So I just invite people to check it out because what we offer are free pastoral consultations with our Mercedarian friars. And we also have a whole resource page on our website. If you go to that nonatus.org on the helpful resources page, we have lots of resources there for families who've gone through challenges and, and tough times. So thanks for giving me that opportunity to tell people about the foundation. Oh, absolutely. And everyone check out the website. Like, like Anne said, there's a ton of great resources there. Mm -hmm. If you need help, they're going to find a way to get you some help. 
So, Anne, let's talk about your book for a moment, Love and Care for the Marginalized. And I thank you for for sending me a copy over. Mm-hmm. So what, why don't you tell us about the genesis of the book? How did it first pop into your head? Well, it's been on my heart for many years um, because way back in 2009, you know, I think we all have years in our lives when we reflect back and think, wow, that was a really tough year. You know what I'm saying? And that was my right. very difficult year in my life. At the time, I was homeschooling my two daughters and I was in my mid 40s and my daughter was going through a very rough time. My younger daughter at the time, she was only nine years old and it really affected me um, in every way. It, expect- it affected me physically, mentally, psychologically, spiritually that I was suffering. And what I found at that time, even though I had friends, I had people in my life who, who supported me. But the one thing that I found was that. I couldn't really find people who were willing to really listen to me and and take the time and just be patient because when somebody's going through a rough time, they're not looking for somebody to fix their problem. What they're really looking for is someone who cares and someone who's going to stick around, right? Not somebody who's going to leave your side when you're going through one of the hardest times in your life. And for me way back in, you know, 2009, which was 12 years ago, um, it almost seemed to me like that time period was not uh, ending quick enough. So it went on for me for about four years or so that I was kind of like going through sort of a mild depression, you know, meaning that I was still able to function. I was still able to be a mom. I was still able to do my duties, but yet I didn't really have that many people in my life that really supported me aside from, you know, my family here. They were great people, wonderful, you know, wonderful husband, wonderful kids. But sometimes you need some uh, support, even from your church friends or from others outside of your home, just so that you feel like you have some kind of friends, people that you can communicate with, do mm-hmm. things with. And I went through a real tough time. And that's kind of when the Mercedarian order came into my life because I was searching for a spiritual director back in 2012. I had two spiritual directors that died in a year. Oh my God. You can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) One was a priest. Yeah. One was a priest that had cancer and the other one was a sister and she also died and got cancer and died. So I was left with, you know, not, not having that spiritual director. And I asked around, I asked people that I knew, I asked some priests, you know, do you know somebody who could be the spiritual director? And I was just coming up empty wherever I went. Everybody I talked to said they didn't know anybody. I had made some calls even to like my seminary and the priest there said, you know, no, I'm sorry, we can't recommend anyone. So on a whim, I had a Catholic directory and I went through and I opened it up and I noticed that there was a monastery listed there called the the Monastery of Our Lady of Mercy. And I just decided, you know, what the heck, I'll, I'll just give it a call, find out more about exactly what this place is and who this religious order is. I had never heard of them before. And so lo and behold, I I talked to the very first Mercedarian I met was um, Father Daniel Bowen, who is now in Cleveland, Ohio. He was then not a priest yet, though. And he recommended another priest who is a a friend and was my spiritual director for years, was uh, Father Matthew Phelan, who's now a, a, a priest and a pastor up in western New York. So I became a third order member with the mercenarians, a prayerful, active lay member of, of the order. And then lo and behold, you know, a couple years later, I had the opportunity to get involved in the foundation. So I, I, I was finding my support through this charism of the order. The charism is the fourth vow is the willingness to offer our lives 
for those who are in danger of losing their faith. And what I learned from my experience was that even though I went through a really rough time in every way, like I said, I think that God used that so that I could help other people with the foundation that I now represent as the director. And then this idea for the book. and, And as you said, the book is called Love and Care for the Marginalized. It's 40 Meditation, Spiritual Outreach, Reflections for Catholics. And I purposely chose quotes that were not only Catholic, like you said, Pope, saints, religious leaders. Now, some of the religious leaders aren't necessarily Catholic, like Martin Luther King Jr. And I even threw in like Muhammad Gandhi is in there, too. And and even a couple movie quotes, because I'm using it as an evangelization tool also for people who are not necessarily Catholic to see that we can also look at some of the things in our world that are offered through other leaders, other authors, other people that still have some value for our faith. So that that was kind of how that was born. And every day for the 40 days, they get a quote, they get a reflection and a call to action and then a prayer, too. So thank you for asking me about my book. Oh, sure. Yeah. One of those movie quotes I saw was from Rocky. Yeah. So I thought that, I <laughs> One thought, of my favorites. I thought, that was, I thought that was fitting since you're in Philly. <laughs> well, that was part so, of why I chose it. It's one of my favorite movies, too, because I think uh, and the, the quote that I chose what was that uh, champions were, are, were once contenders who refused to give up. And the point there is that for people who are marginalized, we can't give up for their sake, because part of being Catholic is being well catechized, is reading our Bible, is following all the rules of the church and theology, the body. But it really is also being a good person and being kind to others and the way that we treat people. Because I don't think we're, we're going to be effective evangelizers if we know all of our faith so well, but we can't interact with people. We don't know how to to be a nice and kind person and good listener, too. Right. I think that's also right. very important. Absolutely. And for the sake of our audience, can you maybe define what marginalized means for those that may not know? Yeah. My definition of marginalized, I don't get into any of the societal definitions because we all think of people like the homeless or people who are isolated for some reason or another or rejected. My definition of this of marginalized is those people who do not have the love and support that they deserve. You know, in my opinion, marginalized people are everywhere in our lives. There are next door neighbors. There are extended family members, that one person that nobody talks to. Right. They are the people at church that we see that. You might have a friend group at church where everybody goes to daily mass and then maybe they go to breakfast and talk out in the parking lot after mass and everybody feels very much at home with their friends. But it's that one person that doesn't have somebody to talk to or it's it it could be the person in your own home who's suffering but doesn't know how to talk to one of their family members, whether it's a spouse or a child about what's really going on and getting the help they need. So marginalized people are really everywhere in our lives. And I think we just need to open up our eyes and ears. Ears are very important because the one thing, one life lesson I've learned in my life is I'm not right about everything. I'm not. And I think that if all of us, if all of us look at that seriously and think the, the Catholic church is correct and everything that we believe, but every, all of my personal decisions and all the things that I do in my life doesn't make me better than anybody else. And my decisions don't make me uh, more right or or that I don't have a closer relationship with God than anybody else. Right. So right. Uh, I think we always have to keep that in mind that um, 
actions do matter when it comes to our faith, right? So we can't just read the Bible or go to daily mass and just, and then treat people a certain way after that. We do have to get on board with really being a good person too. So that's really what my book is about. Right. And I think that's important because if we're doing those things, if we're reading the Bible and going to daily mass, but we're not changed, what does that say about our faith really? Right. Now you mentioned the, you mentioned the importance of listening. Mm -hmm. okay, I want to elaborate on a lot a little more, especially when it comes to the marginalized. Why is important? Why is it listening such an important aspect of even evangelization and reaching out to these people? Well, I think because we cannot even imagine what some people have gone through in their lives. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if we have a simple answer for them that, you know, well, I'll pray for you or, Hey, go, go back to mass or go to this uh, prayer group or something. It's not going to be a magic wand for most people. And even though I know there's right. wonderful ministries that are out there, like that are charismatic um, organizations, or even ones that are like about renouncing, you know, things in our lives so that we can be healed and all that. And that's all very important stuff that we should really look at and think about. But part of the healing process for other people is our actions toward them, right? So that's why it's so important for us to listen and without judgment, because some of the things that you hear when you listen to someone else are, well, you might be thinking, well, I disagree with what she just said, or why'd she do that? Or, wow, she really made a mistake when she, when she said that, you know, that kind of thing. You know, we're all sinful. So even the person who's listening is sinful. And I think once we come to that point in our lives where, where we realize that, like I said, I'm not right about everything. Okay. And so I need to show that to others when I listen to them, that I'm willing to meet them where they are and really and truly be a good person toward them. So I think when we do that, we can avoid things like all the suicide rates that we see because people who, who wind up doing things like committing suicide Yes, I'm sure there's an evil component there, right? There's definitely one. But right. a lot of it is also that they felt they never really had anybody that understood them. So think about that, you know? And so if we can be that person for somebody, I think that we can really be what it means to be Catholic and what our Holy Father, you know, what Pope Francis has, has called us to do with this whole idea of this field hospital, right? And I do think he made a great point when he came in as Pope, and he made that statement that the church is a field hospital and we're all workers of mercy. We're trying to offer mercy. It doesn't mean we say yes to sin that we, you know, pat somebody on the back for some really wrong thing that they did that was sinful, but it means that we walk aside with them, help them so that they can find the right answers, which are available through the church. Right. Now on the back of your book, well, even on the inside, but you, you say that you're, you kind of pattern the book after Matthew chapter 25. Yeah. So can you maybe explain for those who aren't familiar, what Matthew 25 is conveying with what Jesus is doing in that passage? Well, I think that in my opinion, there's a lot of wonderful Bible quotes and sections of the Bible that we can really meditate on. But for me, this one really speaks volumes about when we meet the Lord at the, at the end of our lives when he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he asks those questions. When I was hungry, did you offer me food? When I was thirsty, um, when I was naked, you know, and we can think of those times in our lives when people come to us, whether it's a family member, a friend, somebody that we know who's come to us where they just want to be heard. They don't want you to, they don't want us to direct them with what they should do, but they want somebody to compassionately listen to them. And I think that that, to me, that is what, 
when God told me in, in my heart and he enlightened me about this book and that I should write this book was that, you know, everyone has kind of a life mission. And for me, aside from being a wife and a mother, which is really most important all the time, but I felt that what I went through back from 2009 to 2012 was God's knocking on the doors of my own heart and said, you now understand what it's like. Now you need to get out there, tell people about it, and you need to keep doing it too. So I always say to people, I, I don't want to be one of those people who likes to overpower people with my opinion, with my words, and with my you know presence, because I don't think that that's really what Christ calls us to do. I, I don't. I think that he calls us to be a compassionate human being. Now, not like I said, always going back to the fact of not just like giving a green light to sin, but to being compassionate to what people have been through. Because like I said, I think that if we really heard some of those stories of what people have been through after we really heard it, and if we could see a movie kind of of what they've been through, we would never treat them the same way after that. I really believe that. Absolutely. So what's the, is there any significance to choosing 40 meditations for the book? Well, <laughs> it's funny how that was born because my original idea was to do 365, but as I was day. writing okay. it, <laughs> right, right. But as I was writing it, I thought um, the meditations wind up being a little longer than, than I wanted it to be for 365. Like they just, I wanted it to be one of those like flip charts where for the calendar, like the perpetual calendar, but they wound up being a little too long. So I decided to make it into just a book and stopping at 40. But my project for later on, maybe not right away, will be to do that like flip calendar with all of the different meditations and quotes and things like that. You know, I'd like to do that at some okay. point. Okay. So what was the process like going through and writing these reflections, the, the prayers and everything else? How, what effect did that have on, on you personally? Well, it has a big effect on me because I think that, the, like I said, the greatest lesson that I've ever had in my life was going through my own suffering. And I know you've probably heard that before in podcasts from other people. And I know even the saints, a lot of times they've been through suffering. And I was always a pretty pretty strong person. I mean, meaning that um, I didn't always have a really super deep faith. Like when I was younger, I did think about God, but I prayed like before a test and I went to mass most of the time, you know, but it wasn't until I had a conversion in my thirties uh, after I had suffered with a, a heart problem. I actually went through, um, it was congestive heart failure, but the disease itself is called peripartum cardiomyopathy, which is heart failure that occurs after a pregnancy. And so uh, long story short, I guess what I'm saying is, is that reading these prayers and, and meditating on them brought me to difficult times in my life. But I have to say that as much as I've been through certain things, you know, my parents divorced when I was seven years old. I had certain things in my teenage years that were pretty tough. I had congestive heart failure at the age of 34. But the hardest time of my life was that 2009 to 12, when I went through that depression and my daughter was suffering for a while too, there was nothing like that. And I do think that God allowed that in my life so that I could understand other people's suffering. So that's what I think those prayers do for me is they help me to go back and, and revisit that so that I can never forget what it feels like to be that marginalized person. So kind of put yourself in, in the place of those people who are suffering well, kind of like, kind of like what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25, you know, 
you know, if, if you close, whatever you do to the least of these, you do with me type deals. That kind of what I'm, does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it makes complete sense. Okay. And I think the way that I look at it is we can like give to a food shelter and we can give money to a Catholic organization. Like I'm on the board for Catholic Charities Appeal in my area, which I always say to people, it's a wonderful organization. Please check it out. Catholic Charities Appeal in Philadelphia and consider giving to bring hope or hope is needed most. That's our tagline. But I do think that there's people all around us all the time. There's people that we see on Zoom calls sometimes with a work meeting or something or, you know, an interaction that we have where, you know, I think that these days sometimes people. There's a whole thing about power, I think, as be, as humans, and I think we're always wanting some kind of power. But once we realize that that's not a good thing to want that kind of power over someone whether it be your kid, your your spouse, your next door neighbor, people you work with, you know, we're there to be servants and not to be these overpowering, like my opinion is is the highway or the highway, you know. We need to keep our eyes and ears open to be able to collaborate with other people, right? I don't think that we can really make a difference for this world if I just walk around and think that everything that I do is really the only way it should be done, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be a collaborative effort. Like, and I have to mention your friend and my friend is somebody I've done a lot of collaborative effort with is uh, Bill Snyder, which right. is a, a great friend of mine who we do a podcast t- together uh, called Sewing Hope. And um, it's on Patchwork Heart Ministry YouTube twice a week. And also Bill and I have a new book, which you did a whole interview with him called Hearts Burning Within Us. That's geared for the college age students questions. So please do check that out. Also, it's a wonderful book on patchworkheart.org. So what feedback have you received from your book so far? I've received good feedback. I mean, I got some Amazon reviews, which which were nice. That was a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, my book is an easy read. I will admit it's a small book. It's nothing that's going to take you forever to read. I mean, I did it that way on right. purpose. I wanted it to be something like a go-to that you could just pick it up and just read a little bit and think, hmm, I think I'm going to try that today. Uh, so it's, it is an easy read, but I think one of the feedback I get is that for Catholics that it's a good reference because there's a lot of stuff out there, I think, for Catholics in terms of being well catechized and really knowing our faith. But I don't think we can ever forget that this is part of our faith too and how we treat one another. So thank you. Couldn't agree more. So if there's one thing that you want a reader to get out of your book, what would it be? Well, it's funny. I left it for the very last page, honestly, for the last meditation. And I'm not saying that that means that you shouldn't read the entire book. <laughs> yeah, don't skip to the back. <laughs> don't skip to the back. But day 40 to me was kind of special. I'm not, I'm not going to get into detail. But if you look in at one of the at when I give the active suggestions, um, and I really debated this. I debated this a lot when I wrote this. I, I'm putting this one line in that I added a line in there. That if you've hurt someone in your past, now this is a tough one because you can't do this with everybody, okay? You can't do this with everybody. But if you if you have the guts and you feel the the, the Holy Spirit is guiding you, reach out to that person and apologize. You have we have no idea how much that can mean to someone who we have hurt in some way, shape, or form. Because we do that by our words, by our actions, by our gossip, which I mention a lot in the book, and how that's such an evil thing that. When we talk about other people without knowing the full story, that that really is a scandalous and it is a mortal sin. 
And I don't know whether a lot of uh, Catholics or even Christians realize that it is a, it is a mortal sin to do that. So we need to to bring that to the Lord and, and repent of it when we're ruining someone else's character for something that right. we might not even really know the full story. So I think that meditating on the idea that humble ourselves, we need to humble ourselves, right? So important. That call that you make to someone to, to, to finally say, you know what, it's been a lot of years, but I thought about it. What I said to you way back then, that was awful. I should have never said that. Will you forgive me? It's going to be hard to do. And the person might turn around and say, no, I don't. But at least you tried, you know? So I would say that that's something that you should think about, pray about. And if you feel that you're led to do it in some way, maybe you should try it out. But on the flip side, what if they accept it? Maybe they break down because it's been wearing on them all these years. What kind of uh, grace comes from that? That's so. Yeah, definitely. So, and where can our listen? Yeah. Where can our viewers and listeners get the book? Well, there's a few different places. Uh, mainly, um, the main publisher is CarisPublishing.com, and it's spelled C H A R I S Publishing.com. You can also just go to Amazon. All you need to do is key in "Love and Care for the Marginalized." I think if you even just key in my name, it'll pop up. And it's also on a paperback and Kindle. And I got good news. Um, it is on um, Kindle Unlimited. So if you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free. And then from September 8th to September 15th, it'll be 99 cents. <laughs> They're going to do right. a special. So on Kindle, it'll be 99 cents. So you can check that out too. Great. Now, and where can our listeners go? Maybe learn more about you and everything else that you're doing because you're very busy. Thank you so much. Yeah, I would say just my own website. It's um, andesantis.com. Because like I said, and I always say this, my main job is being the director for the St. Raymond Anatis Foundation, because really they're, they were like my saving grace during the hardest time of my life. And I, I just give them so much credit and God so much credit for bringing me to them for that, th that fourth vow, which is that willingness, right, to give our lives. For those in danger of losing their faith, I want to just add one more thing, if I could, is that when I went through Please. all those tough times, as much as I was going to daily mass and praying, I really think there was a part of me that was in danger of losing my faith because I, I wasn't feeling that connection with the outside world as much as I could have been. So just remember, too, there's people who are very religious, like that you'd never think that they feel marginalized, but they do hmm. or very, you know, very connected with their faith. Again, the book is Love and Care for the Marginalized, and our guest has been Anne DeSantis. Anne, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. And be on our guest, uh, a guest on our podcast as well. <laughs> Anytime. Always a pleasure. Take care, and God bless. This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you.